This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Umesh Gidwani, Director of the Cardiac Intensive Care Unit at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City. Dr. Gidwani, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Ms. Deirdre. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast. Before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. I trained primarily in multidisciplinary uh, critical care, during which time I took a particular liking to the cardiac surgical ICU. And for years after, I did some work in cardiac surgical ICUs. About 15 years ago, I joined the CCU, what was at that time the CCU at Mount Sinai Hospital. I had uh, trained after my critical care. My critical care specialization was at Mount Sinai Hospital. And uh, after that, I did a pulmonary fellowship at New York Medical College and then always, uh, you know, maintained the interest in cardiac critical care. And about 15 years ago, Mount Sinai recruited me to run what was then the CCU or the coronary care unit. Now, we've come a long way since then. And today, the CCU has evolved into the cardiac intensive care unit or the CICU. What we see today is extremely different than what we saw maybe 15, 20 years ago, at least on the cardiology side, where um, you would have patients who would have had NMI and received maybe thrombolysis and were recovering in the CCU to today, extremely ill patients with multiple medical problems whose primary driver may or may not be cardiac decompensation are managed in the cardiac intensive care unit. And this evolution has been documented pretty thoroughly by several really cardiologists who had an interest in cardiac intensive care um, so that we now uh, really have an emerging specialty of cardiac critical care. That's really interesting to think about and see how the evolution of uh, your career as well as the specialty has grown. I'm really fascinated to hear a little bit more about that. From your perspective, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges in um, cardiac critical care, especially today? I think in cardiac critical care and maybe even across all of medicine, one of the big issues is health equity. And health equity that refers really to the quality of healthcare delivery, healthcare access across different populations. Now, health equity, you could say, is different from health equality because it refers to disparities that are controllable or fixable in all aspects of health. We see differences across socioeconomic strata, racial disparities, rural-urban divides, gender differences, and all of these need to be tackled really uh, on a very expedited basis. I think that more and more we see a realization that these equity issues bedevil us in 
the populations that we serve, even in the intensive care unit where we study, uh, you know, the effect of uh, racial and other disparities that I've described uh, in outcomes in cardiac intensive care units. The flip side of this coin, of course, is what we are doing with our professionals. I can tell you very proudly that Mount Sinai has taken the right steps when they came to the fork in the road. It's a very long journey, but clearly, at least at our institution, the leadership has been very clear-eyed that they are going to address various disparities as we come across. And in our cardiovascular institute in itself, if I could take a few names, Dr. Anapunakini as the director of one of the busiest cardiac catheterization labs in the country. Uh, you can say Dr. Uh, Isilma Fergus, who's really the director of healthcare and cardiovascular disparities in our cardiovascular institute. Dr. Roxana Mehran, who's the director of cardiovascular catheterization research. Dr. Gagan Sani, who's the director of cardio-oncology. Dr. Mary McLaughlin, who really is a pioneer amongst women in cardiology and women's healthcare in cardiology, Dr. Donna Mancini, who is truly one of the foremost leaders in heart failure and transplantation, Dr. Laurie Croft, uh, director of a cardiac uh, echocardiography lab, Dr. Gina LaRosa, uh, also in imaging, Dr. Amy Kontorovich in cardiovascular genetics, Dr. Marie Noel Langen, Director of Quality for Electrophysiology. These are but a few names, but we have to go beyond that. This fantastic group of women leaders in cardiology that exist in Mount Sinai are showing us that just bringing a critical mass of women to the profession uh, is not just diversity. We need to make institutional changes, we need to have an emphasis on changing structures to really complete this task. And like I said, we are well on the path. I think one issue that we can say clearly resonates today. Second issue is one of hyperspecialization. And we in the cardiac intensive care are, you can say, the beneficiaries of and guilty of the same. Cardiac critical care is now a bona fide specialty, along with so many emerging specialties that I've discussed somewhat, cardio-oncology, cardiovascular genetics. And this hyper-specialization, again, is a two-sided coin. It's great for patients that they can really tap into phenomenal expertise at a very granular level but we must never forget what brought them into the cardiac ICU in the first place because we are one of the last stops in the journey of the failure of cardiac prevention and the focus on cognitive cardiology and cardiovascular prevention is more important than ever. Uh, I think there was a... Uh, uh, National Academy of Medicine uh, paper that came out today which ranked cardiometabolic diseases as the third most common death 
amongst Americans. So we have a long way to go. We need to focus on general cardiology, cognitive cardiology, and preventive cardiology so that they don't end up requiring services such as the ones that I offer. And then finally, this would not be addressed properly if we were not to look back on the dark days of COVID. This has been an extraordinarily stressful year, an extraordinarily wonderful year as well that brought together all the specialties to come and help us out in the cardiac intensive care unit. Obviously, there has been significant burnout, significant issues of physical, emotional, and psychological distress. And many people, for one reason or another, have left the profession, thus exacerbating uh, upcoming you know, uh, uh, provider shortages. So this area of physician shortages, of burnout by, uh, you know, uh, just this unprecedented crisis in healthcare that we um, encountered last year um, is a real problem. And my feeling is that we are going to see the effects of the past year for many years to come. That's a really great point, Dr. Gidwani. Thank you so much for going through all of that, and especially looking at, you know, what some of the most recent um, issues with COVID-19 have brought to our attention. I'm wondering, you know, as you look forward, how do you see heart care evolving in the next 18 months or so? So that's that's a great question. Um, I think that heart care was on a path towards tremendous evolution, tremendous excitement when we hit this little uh, bump in the road. And my hope is that we resume the track, the upward trajectory of the excitement in cardiology. I think cardiology is going to become more data-driven. And it's already taken that route, value-based, data-driven, if you cannot measure it, you cannot fix it. You cannot improvement. If you cannot improve it, and the core value is that of improving quality and patient safety, and that is, in one word, value-driven, uh, you know, care. And towards that end, we have to invest more in data. We have to be able to be very granular in what are the variables we're looking at, and all the emerging, I hate to use some of these words because they are so, uh, uh, you know, abused in a way, so uh, flippantly used, you know, things like AI and uh, natural language processing and so on, but these are going to be the drivers where we can get early warning signals as to what is going on, what are some of the issues with quality, what are some of the issues playing out at a population health level. So I think one of the big things will be more data-driven. I think the other thing would be more technology, and you see more and more technology. We've seen a paradigm shift in how 
we treat, for instance, aortic stenosis. And uh, that is just going to continue, that proliferation of technology, of knowledge, and deploying this technology for the well-being of our patients is going to continue apace. But we still must realize that all this technology, all this AI, all this uh, telemedicine will not be supplanted by the human touch. The human touch, the human relationship, the reassurance, the ability to look a patient in the eye and be straight up with them, that it can never be replaced by technology. I look upon technology not as a replacement, but as an addition, a value add to what the cardiologist can provide. And then finally, I think you're going to see more and more team-based care, the heart team, the shock team, the ECMO team. And this really harkens back to some of the you know, core principles of high-reliability organizations, such as deference to expert teams. And more and more you'll see across hospitals, uh, you know, teams being deployed. Some of the teams that I already mentioned, some other teams such as rapid response teams and sepsis response teams. And uh, obviously we've had for the longest time code teams and, uh, you know, vascular access teams. So as we develop teams that develop expertise, which is very focused, we are going to get better patient outcomes and a better patient experience. So in a nutshell, I see in the next, I don't know, 18, 24 months, more data-driven cardiology, more expansion of technology in cardiology, and more heart team-based uh, aligning of goals across, uh, you know, these various traditional silos of cardiology for the benefit of the patient. Got it. I think that makes so much sense. And it's really exciting to, to hear about. And, you know, I'm wondering, is that something that really makes you excited today? What else gets you excited about cardiology today? And then what also makes you nervous? I will echo some of the same themes, but this time a little differently, which is that everything that excites me also worries me. For instance, when we talk about um, technology, we see that the technology can be so empowering uh, and uh, uh, the growth of consumerism, retail clinics, telemedicine, connected devices, connected systems, connected networks, uh, augmented reality, even virtual reality, all of these things empower the patient. They put the patient first. But they all come with cautions and caveats. One is you can go pretty uh, radical in you know, deploying some of these things. So it's not uncommon uh, for us now to encounter patients who tell me uh, you know, that my heart rate went to uh, 128, and maybe there were some irregular rhythms, and that's a good thing, and maybe not. Uh, there, it's not uncommon for uh, patients to tell you, uh, you know, that they slept six and a half hours instead of eight and a half hours. 
So there's a lot of that going on, but we have to make sure that um, it does not, you know, give false information that the uh, quality control, the quality of care issues uh, are still, you know, robust because these are all uh, relatively uh, technologies in their infancy. So very exciting, very exciting to see this growth of consumerism uh, in cardiology and medicine, but also a word of caution. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. And, you know, really, like you said, it, being able to um, have that kind of discretion and the nuance within it and, and knowing, you know, um, how to apply that knowledge is definitely important. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think these are all the things now, you know, for instance, another thing that we see now happening across, uh, you know, the healthcare space is consolidations. And that's a great thing because it enables us to deliver high-quality population health. It allows us to examine outcomes across the entire population of a healthcare system. And the healthcare system, uh, you know, is the answer to a very fragmented delivery system that used to exist. But it is not without its downsides. We all know that consolidation comes with, uh, you know, some reservations, you know, uh, maybe the loss of the autonomy of the patient, maybe a little bit of a barrier in the doctor-patient relationship, uh, maybe misaligned incentives leading to higher healthcare costs. So these are all cautions, which does not mean that consolidation in and of itself is bad for uh, the population or for uh, the delivery of high-quality care in a population-based system. So these are some of the things that, uh, you know, worry me, but also excite me. Uh, and again, you know, that goes to just highlight uh, that there are two sides to every coin and a judicious uh, approach to each of these uh, is best for, uh, you know, all parts of the uh, uh, sphere, you know, the patient, the community, society, and the provider side. That's, that's great to hear. And, you know, really, it'll be interesting to see how things play out in the next several years. Before we wrap up our conversation, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today? Yeah, I think... Once again, to go back to data and technology, this is just going to progress exponentially by leaps and bounds. So one, invest in data. Invest in data because it is the only way to improve quality, to improve value, and to some extent really build out your platforms from which you can launch novel uh, interventions that will improve patient outcomes. Invest in data. The next thing would be, I think, invest in the team. Invest in your teams. Build your teams, invest in your teams, because that's really the only way to improve the patient experience. No machine 
is going to improve the patient experience. The patient experience even today is how you talk to the patient. Were you attentive to the patient? Were you able to understand their fears, their concerns? Were you able to allay those? Were you able to make sure that the patient understood that on discharge, these are the things that need to get done? Were they able to understand that this is how easily they can reach you or your team? So invest in your team. Invest in your team members. Be empathic and be the quote-unquote servant leader because really they are the ones that make you the leaders. And leaders with high EQ will know that the team drives everything, drives outcomes, drives experiences, and invest in your team. And then finally, invest in yourself. It's really the only way to be an effective leader. Do all the things that you uh, advise people. Spend some quiet time in reflection. Spend some busy time in catching up with what's going on in other parts of not only cardiology and healthcare, but also in society and the community. Get eight hours of sleep, eat well, exercise your mind by things like yoga and meditation and your body by the usual uh, you know, uh, techniques that you are familiar with. So I think invest in data, invest in your team, and invest in yourself. And I think those are some of uh, the characteristics uh, you know, of a good physician leader. Dr. Kidwani, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much, ma'am.